Would you please take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew. I'll make a statement as I begin this morning. The church is a prophetic people. What do I mean when I say that? The church is a prophetic people. <clears throat> whose purpose it is to stand as a lamp, to stand as a beacon, much like a lighthouse would stand on the shore and warn the incoming ships of the impending doom should they not heed the warning and crash and find themselves um, in peril against the rocky cliffs. So the church stands as a beacon, as a lighthouse, into culture, into the present kingdom of the age, and it speaks of its impending doom should culture continue at the rapid pace, should people's lives and hearts continue at its rapid pace towards peril. That is what it means to be a prophetic people. We stand now, as I spoke of what Nick and Karn are coming to bring a word now. We believe the word speaks to us now. And through him speaking to us now, we in turn speak as his ambassadors. We shed light into darkness and we speak of what is true into that which is of error. So the church is a prophetic people. We're studying through the book of Matthew. We're doing so through this, this title, this overarching title of Not of This World. And we've spent a few weeks of laying the theology of the kingdom of God. We're coming at it from this, this, uh, the, the, the title again of not of this world, but from a lens of God's kingdom. And we've used texts such as Colossians chapter 1, where Paul tells us that we're transferred from darkness into the kingdom of light. So there's this idea of a severance of one way of life. There's a severing of an, of an identifying as a human being with one age, and now an identifying with a new age. And so we're coming through Matthew and we're, we're seeking to hear what does it, that then mean? What are the implications for our lives practically? I think that we would all have an agreement that we believe in the kingdom of God. But what does that mean to be a citizen of the kingdom? What does that look like? How does that affect you as you walk out this door and you seek to live your life in the midst of work and family and friendship? Are there implications? Should we expect that there might be differences? And I would say we absolutely do. So as we're continuing through the, through the gospel of Matthew, we're looking to, to find some significance in this understanding of the kingdom that's not just this abstract construct that the kingdom is somehow out here, but that the kingdom is present, that the kingdom, as I said, has application, that it's, it's vibrant, that it's tangible. It's an interesting concept, that the kingdom could possibly be tangible, and of course that it's life-shaping. It affects what we do, how we think, the things that we say, the way that we fill in the blank, take a job someplace, raise our children in certain ways, store up money in particular places. You get the point. It has legs to it. It's, it can be experienced. So two weeks ago, I provided for you a working definition of this kingdom, and we're going to get to it in just a moment. Um, but before I do, I want to read. We're, we're working through the book of Matthew. So we're now at chapter 3. Thankful to our good friend Mike, who uh, was here last week, who tackled the Christmas story in the middle of May, towards the end of May, and did so with um, much grace, and um, we appreciate his obedience to that. And so we find ourselves at Matthew chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verses 1 through 12, and that's the portion of the text that we'll 
go at today. I'm reading from the ESV. It will not be on the monitors, but you can just listen or follow in whatever translation you have. The title of this now, we've come to John the Baptist. So it says, John the Baptist prepares the way. It's the heading of this portion, beginning in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures, as I said, that we can hold them in our hands for those who have have fought, lived, died, Lord, who have uh, been stewards to see it printed and produced in such a way that we now can hold it and enjoy it and receive from it the benefit which is life-giving. Lord, today we submit to the Word of God. We submit to the Holy Spirit who convicts us of truth. And Lord, we ask that you would conform this community of believers into something that is so significant for the city. Lord, in such a way not to promote ourselves, but to be just enamored with the glory of God and shining the light of the glory of God in the city of Sacramento. So speak to us today, Father. We thank you for what you will do in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We say amen. So as I said two weeks ago, I laid just a working definition um, that, I had, uh, that I took. I did not write from a gentleman by the name of Patrick Schreiner, but I found it to be helpful. And as we go throughout the book of Matthew, you may point back to it or use it from time to time as a reference point. And the definition is this. The kingdom of God is the king's rule over the king's people in the king's place. And to this end, it also includes the king's presence and the king's precepts. You know what precepts are? It's the law. So it includes, the kingdom includes his presence as well as his law. So we're going to use this as we are trying to expand our understanding of God's kingdom solely beyond just a definition of his rule and authority, while it is very much so that, it is very much concerned with his rule and his authority in the hearts and lives of men and women. But also, too, to limit it to that, I think, would be detrimental to really experience, to live within this life of a 21st century Christian on this side of the cross. 
So God's kingdom is now something that is both seen as well as visibly attested to. In other words, as the king's people, we the church, not just individuals, but we the church, God is coming for his church. It's the bride of Christ that's being prepared to be given to the king, to the, to the groom when he comes. So it's we the church, the community of God. We attest to the precepts, to the law of the king by our visible obedience to the commandments that he gives us, by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Those are, those are marks of, of attestation of the kingdom of God. It's so much more than just this distant thought of Jesus sitting on a, a shiny throne in some far-off place with a robe and a scepter in his hand. Sometimes that's, I don't know about you, but if I really go childish in my thinking, you can go that way. It's like, okay, he's, he's there somewhere, and he's doing something, and maybe he, you know, once in a while does something like that, but that's not the kingdom. That's not the king. Yes, he is ruling. Yes, he is in the heavenly places, but he's present. He's present within his kingdom, his earthly kingdom, which he established, as we saw last week at the birth of Christ. The Christ's birth was the inauguration of the kingdom of God here on earth, and we've used this terminology of piercing the present evil age. So the church is a prophetic people. We are a prophetic people. And our job is to speak into culture. It's important because the church continues in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I touched on that when I spoke of the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And we traced how the kingdom of God has always been from its inception at the Garden of Eden all the way through in parallel, in tandem with the kingdom of the present evil age. And now we as the church, we continue in that which Jesus began on earth. We as sons and daughters, if we are, which I know we believe we are, we now as inheritors of this kingdom, as beneficiaries of the kingdom, we now continue that which Christ Jesus did on earth by the power of his Holy Spirit. And we studied that as we went through the book of Acts just recently. So I'm saying all of this to just lay a, a very quick um, groundwork for um, this portion of text. And so we come to this now. Here's John the Baptist, and, and, um, and the Gospels, all of the Gospels more or less present John the Baptist. And it's interesting, I ask myself, why the need of John the Baptist? If we look at the Old Testament, surely the most of us are familiar with some, to some degree of the, the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, the king who would rule forever, the throne that would last forever. It's like, do we need John the Baptist? What, what, what's the purpose of it? And so I began to, to try to dig into why the significance of, of him. Do we not surely know that what the Old Testament speaks of? And this is the conclusion that I came to. John's life served as a pronouncement that once again, God was about to do something new. Just as the birth of Jesus Christ was an announcement of a new beginning in God's redemptive narrative, John the Baptist stood as a, a mile marker in the ministry, in the, in the life of Jesus. And he spoke of, think about this, of course we read chapters 2 to 3 seamlessly, but it's approximately 29 years that has transpired with, with in Matthew's case, very little to be said about the life of Jesus Christ. And so if you were a Jew, perhaps, 
living in that time who, 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 whose eyes were open to the coming Messiah, who had anticipated and perhaps you were aware of the birth of Jesus Christ, and then suddenly 29 years goes by and you're going, what's going on? Did he not come and was he not born? And so John the Baptist, and here we have John, and he's standing, prepare the way of the Lord. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near. It's here. It's not coming. It's here. And so John's ministry was very important because he was speaking of what God would do, something new. John's whole life can really be summed up in just one word, and it's this, it's preparer. That's, was, that was the ministry of John. Preparer. What, what's the significance of a preparer? He not only went before, but his ministry was an announcement and to call and draw attention to the coming king, to the one who, would about, who was about to enter the stage of ministry. And as I said, Jesus' birth spoke of something significant and so did John's life. John's ministry was one of a prophet. He was the prophet. Think about this too. The end of Malachi, 400 years of silence. And very interesting enough, Malachi ends in chapter 4 and he speaks of Elijah who would come. Jesus speaks of John the Baptist as Elijah. So already we have this picture and as, and as we read in chapter 3 of, this, um, of the looks of John, that which he ate, there's, there's already a, another resemblance to Elijah. In 2 Kings, it speaks of Elijah wearing a, a, a coat of hair or being a, a hairy guy with a leather weight belt around his waist. It's the, it's the exact same type of imagery that Matthew's giving us here, again, to show us that the ministry of John was a prophetic announcement of what would be. He was in the role of a prophet. He was the mouthpiece of God. But rather than just speaking to God's chosen people as the prophets in the Old Testament did so often, now John was speaking to all who would hear thus signifying God's intention for inclusion of Jews and Gentiles. It was already a foreshadowing of the intent of Jesus' ministry to be to the whole of creation, to all of the earth. What a beautiful, just little picture that is of God's plan that we see within John. And so what I'd like to do today is I want to look at three parallels between the prophetic role of John's ministry and that of the church. As I said earlier, we as the church, if we continue in, in, the, in the ministry of Jesus Christ, as that which he did on earth, we continue to do by the power of, of his Holy Spirit. So John was functioning somewhat in that way. And I think that without stretching too far, we can find that there's some parallels that are applicable to us as the community of God that speak of what we are to be about right now through the ministry of John the Baptist. The first is this, a voice crying, the voice calling in the wilderness. There's a significance to the location of John's ministry. Think about for a moment, that which we know of the wilderness. We know the story of the Israelites, right? Brought from exile out of Egypt and led into the wilderness. 
It was the wilderness where God called Israel to be his chosen people. It was the wilderness where God covenanted, where they became his. It was the wilderness where God gave his law to his people. It was the wilderness where God preserved his people, where his people, as they wandered, were a symbol of the nature and the character they exemplified to the surrounding kings and systems of authority of that day and time. They exemplified the nature of God on earth. Think of that for a moment as a parallel to the Christian community, to the, to the function of the church, to exemplify the nature and the character of God. It was in the wilderness place where that happened with the Israelites. It was a place of new beginnings. Isaiah 49, 13 says this, Behold, I'm doing something new. Again, John, prepare the way. Behold, I'm doing something new. Isaiah 43, 19, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and the rivers and the desert. Behold, I'm doing something new. John's preaching in the wilderness was a picture of the gospel being preached to all places. Even the most desolate and remote of land was not beyond God's reach. There is nothing that was outside of that which was about to happen. All was in reach of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like John, we are a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. That's ours. That's our ministry. In the wilderness, taken from exile in bondage, enslaved to sin and death, brought into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world but not of the world, present but not of its essence, preserved by God, exemplifying the nature and the character of the one who has saved us. That's the ministry of the church in this wilderness place. The second was his message. So the first was his location of the wilderness, the voice in the wilderness. The second was his message. His message was simple. Repent. Repent. Though he was a preparer, the message was repent. It's interesting how common those two in the Gospels come together, the kingdom of God and repentance. They're found in multiple places together. So there's something of the kingdom of God. There's something of the mission of the kingdom that's a call to repentance. And that shouldn't be a far distant thought in our mind. It should be easy to come to that conclusion. But the ministry of the church is very much similar. It's a call for repentance. John's call was one for them to change their mind from that which it was set upon. That's the word repent in the Greek, to change your mind from that which is set upon, but not simply just to change your mind, but it's to look with disgust upon the sin which you committed and look to Christ Jesus. To look away from, to set your mind no longer on this, but now on this. That is what repentance was. That was the call of John to those who would hear. 
John's ministry, as I said, pointed towards the one. Our ministry, our lives should point towards the one, not ourselves. We call not attention to that which we secured because we didn't secure it. But we call attention to the one who rescued us, who ransomed us, who saved us, who preserves us, who continues us, who called us, and who will glorify us one day. We point to him. That's the ministry of the church. Repent because of the coming judgment. Repent because he will return again. But look to him, the peacemaker between man and God. A change of mind produces a change of way. A change of mind produces a change of way. Matthew Henry says this, true repentance is not a matter of words and ritual, but of a real change of life. In other words, put your money where your mouth is. That's what Matthew Henry said. You can quote him on that. Put your money where your mouth is. There's, there's, there is a complementary, uh, complementary aspect between your words and your actions. That which you say is true and that which you live and exemplify as truth. And John says in verse 8, he says to this, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, after he just you know, lambasts them as, as a brood of vipers, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, true repentance leads to right living. And we say, I've said it here many times, right thinking leads to right action. And our minds have been renewed by the power of Jesus Christ. And so as a church, as his kingdom community, as his kingdom people, our message is to the barren desert, repent, but not because you are just so filthy, but repent because he is coming to judge He's close. The kingdom of God is here. And I was thinking about this as well. We hold that which is, how, how do we know when something is good news? It's you hold it against that which is hopeless, that which is damning. It's good news because of what it rescues us from. And thirdly, so if the first was his location of his ministry, the second was the message of his ministry of repent, and thirdly, the parallel which, which, which we can draw that the church as the community of, of, of the kingdom of God continues in is the life of John the Baptist. He lived to prepare the way. He lived to prepare the way. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight, it says. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. I want to read the text, which is quoted here in Matthew, because there's, an, there's, there's a, uh, some verses after the literature. just so beautiful to this picture of preparing the way. Isaiah chapter 40 the portion in Matthew is quoted, verses 3, 
But begin in verse 1. Actually, let's just begin in verse 3. Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Listen to the emphasis now. It's slightly different from what Matthew quotes. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And verse 5, and this is beautiful, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. (coughs) Excuse me. This phrase, prepare the way, comes from the ancient custom of sending before kings on their journey persons who would literally go before and level the road, and they would make the path straight. So think of this, we, when we study the book of Philippians, as we introduced the book, we talked about the royal road. The royal road was a, an old century Persian road that went for approximately 1,700 miles that was, uh, that was created by King Darius, and its purpose was to create a pathway that was both level and straight, which created quick communication depending on where he wanted to send messengers. And they say, listen to this, fun fact, it was expected that that 1,700 miles on foot could be covered in approximately nine days. That's crazy how fast those people would run, huh? I would not make it as a messenger in King Darius' time. I'd be, it's 500 feet. (laughs) So John's calling, prepare the way. There was context for that. There were people who would literally go before and make straight the paths. Make straight the paths. This is, a, as I said, that's a, analogous to that to this this picture of of the uh, of the Persian road. It points us to this picture of the Persian road. But not only was it to be straight and level, but it was also to be, of course, that which was in the right direction. So now let's take it back to the present day context of a kingdom community, of a kingdom people, of your own personal life. Your call as a Christian is to go before the king. How do we do so? By preparing the way in the hearts and minds of men and women. By speaking what is true of who he is. We make straight the path and we point them in the right direction. Now we understand the mystery intention to the mandate to proclaim the good news. The mystery is that it's God's work alone. That God is sovereign and how he reveals himself as king, and when he reveals himself as king to those hearers. But it doesn't negate the fact that we are still called as Christians who have gone before his second coming, who live right now in this space and time, who say, prepare the way because he's coming again, and to call people into a life of fruitfulness, into a life of the presence of the king, into beneficiaries of the kingdom of God. And so we go before, we prepare the way. 
we make straight the path and we point in the right direction to the wandering hearts, those who are in darkness. We speak truth to people's pain. This is how we practically do it. We listen. We shine light into darkness. We care for people's hurts. We love people through their sin. And we all the while point them towards Jesus Christ. Not heap upon them condemnation, but speak of the freedom of the king and life within the kingdom. And we exemplify and we attest to those words by visually living something that's consistent with what we speak. So his life was one to prepare the way. In addition, he lived with the distinctives as God's servant, messenger. He was a voice. He was a voice. His life was distinct. And we get this picture of this like, I remember being a kid growing up because I grew up in the church and you see drawings in kids' picture books and there's like this really ugly dude and he's got like this billowing chest hair sometimes and he's got, you know, the neared, the neck beard that's like popping out and he's wearing this, you know, maybe a cloak of hair and there's like bees flying around. And so, you know, it's just like, what is this picture that we have? What we have is a picture of a servant messenger and there's a lot more that you can unearth about. Actually, his diet was consistent with certain... It wasn't like just like the super weirdo who's out there, you know, <laughs> waiting for people to come out and see him. No, I mean, it's like people knew this man was a prophet. And interestingly enough, they, 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 they surmise that it was tens, possibly of thousands of people that came to hear him speak. Isn't that interesting? Weren't neat, like social media post, hey, I'm going to be over here from 10 to noon today, you know, preparing the way of the Lord. No, you just got this guy out there living, eating honey and wearing hair and people are coming out to see him. My point is, though, is that he lived in, with distinctive, listen to this, this is really, really important, you guys. He lived with distinctiveness of his identity as this preparer. So important. Too much do we find inconsistency between what we say and how we live. And guys, it doesn't have to be these massive, like, egregious sins. Of course, that isn't consistent. But I'm talking about small things. And that's, that's personal in a sense of that's the Lord who convicts us through our conscience and by the Holy Spirit as we come to Him and as we bow our knee to the King and he says, listen, this, this is off. And he starts putting his thumb on things in our life. But the point is, is that we don't look. I, I say that and I look probably like all the people out there. But we don't look in a life sense like those who are out there. I've been talking with my son who's um, in baseball right now. And man, I'm telling you, he's 13 years old. And the things that the, these boys are talking about in the dugouts, and we were just having a conversation the other day. He's like, Dad, it's so inappropriate, the things that they're saying. This is my 13-year-old. I mean, you guys like crazy stuff that they talk about that you're like, man, I didn't even think about that when I was 13 years old, maybe. But here's my 13-year-old son. Not, I mean, some of it is compulsory because he's, a, he's still learning and I'm training him. 
but he genuinely lives as this beacon, as otherly, in a sense, as a servant messenger of the king. My 13-year-old, your children, your lives, you young men, young couples who are getting ready to have children, how you raise your children, how you parent in those early months and years will speak volumes to who you are as a messenger of the king in your life in the kingdom. Volumes. And that's not to put extra pressure on you because you're probably feeling a ton of it right now already. But the reality is, is that there's distinctiveness to our life. As a prophetic people, we must have continuity between what we say we believe and how we live, both as individuals and as a community. That's important. This obviously is going to be affected by you. And when we come together, that is visible. And there's continuity there. Turn with me to Revelation 18. I'm going to land in a moment. And I just felt like this has been um, resounding in my heart personally, and we've talked about it as elders. And um, obviously, we're, we're studying through the book of Revelation and our Christian education classes, which are from 9 to 10 on Sundays. And so we're in the book of Revelation, and as we gather as elders, there's always lots of dialogue around Revelation, of course, and the pertinence of it. And let me just say, you guys, the, the things that are being spoken of, that are being taught and understood right now through this Revelation class is completely consistent with what I'm saying today. If you want to understand what it is to be the church right now in this dark age, study the book of Revelation because there's so much that is of who we are right now that God is calling us and specifically of this distinctiveness. Revelation 18.4. Revelation 18.4. This is the voice of the Lord. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, just listen to this language, you guys. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Come out of her, my people. That is what the Lord cries out to his church, come out. That same phrase, come out, is the same that God used in Abraham's call when he called him out of the land of his fathers, his earthly origin, his, this earthly rule, identity that he lived within. And what did God do? He called him out of and he called him into the land which he was promising to him. That is us. We have to stop living like all of them. And this is me too. This is me. I live in many ways in my life. I give myself to things on the regular. But the, 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 this is so sobering when we read these words, lest you take part in her sins, and lest you share in her plagues. The word there can be translated iniquities, her sickness. Come out and be my people, the Lord says. Come out and be as the bride who has been betrothed to the groom, who's preparing herself on that wedding day to be given to him. Some of us today 
need to be reminded that we've been called out of Babylon. You've been set free, but sometimes we live like this, with one foot in and one foot out. We want to dabble over here and enjoy, because let's face it, sometimes the sin feels good in that moment. But what's the result? It's the plagues. It's the iniquities. It's the sickness that we have to bear because we've enjoyed that moment. Whatever that is, right now in this very moment, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Where do you need to come out? What are the sins that you've shared in with this present evil age? What are the iniquities? What are the sicknesses that you've brought upon yourself because you've given yourself to this thing over here? Today, God says, come out. And listen, you guys, he's made the way for you to come out. You don't have to fight your way out of it. The Holy Spirit, who indwells you if you've put your faith in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives you life and power and by the grace of God, the ability, as I said earlier, to live obediently to the laws of the king. Come out of it. What have you given yourself to? Come out of it today. We will have no distinct voice in that which we've assimilated into. The further we assimilate, the quieter our voice becomes. So, so true. It's really subtle too. It's really subtle. And I'll tell you, one of the the most pervasive ways that we give ourselves to this assimilation is the entertainment of the spirit of the age. It's insidious and it is dangerous. And entertainment comes in many different forms. But I tell you, it's the propaganda machine for the culture. It's the propaganda machine for the liturgies of this present evil age. So my encouragement to us today is to remind us, as John was alone, so too we might feel like we're alone in this journey. But we're not. Because not only do we have the comfort of the present reality of the kingdom of God and the presence of the king, but we also have the comfort of the future hope of that which comes towards us. And we have each other, which is why the church is so important. We're not called into isolation. You're called into family. You're adopted by the grace of God. You're placed in the body of Christ. You're integral to the function, to the health, to the vibrancy and the life of the kingdom community. And we have one another to be hopeful with, to encourage, to continue. We are the voice, church. We are a voice, I should say that. We're not the voice. But we are a voice in terms of this local community in the wilderness, and we cry out, prepare the way for the king is coming. May the Lord Jesus Christ give us the grace to live with such obedience. Yeah? Amen. Would you please stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then we'll break for the rest of the morning, and we'll go as servant ministers to the king, as ambassadors, as vice regents, To the royal king, we're going to go into our community today. We're going to go into these places of business. We're going to shed light by our presence. We're going to shed light by our radical generosity. 
We're going to shed light by the care that we give to people. Very easy, very practically. Lord God, we pray today that you would help us. I ask, Father, that not a word of this would be heard in such a way that is condemning, but Lord, that we would find in it the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today for your church that she would be once again or continue to be this bride who is in preparation to receive, to be received by her groom. Lord, I pray that there would be nothing that is off limits for you to speak to us about. There's nothing that we hold on to so personally that we haven't opened our hands and given to you and said, God, is this, is this you? Is this what I should be about? Father, we pray that, that this community would continue to grow in such a way, Father, not just numbers, but in terms of impact, invisible, attesting to the, 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 the rule of the kingdom of God, to the king, to the presence of the king, that our, laws, our lives would reflect the law of the king in terms of how we obey and how we submit and how we act and live. Lord, I pray that we would bear fruit greatly. And Lord, I pray that as it says in Isaiah, that the glory of the Lord would be revealed and every eye shall see it. Let us be that people, Lord, we pray. Help us by the grace of God to be such a people, Lord. And I pray that we would find the resolve to be unwavering, that we would find the strength, Lord, that comes from you to continue to persevere and to remain steadfast in the face of this present evil age. Father, let it be for your glory. And Lord, let others come to know such a great and gracious King and such a life of freedom in the kingdom of God through your church. We ask these things in your name. Amen.